You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hi, everyone. Ed McGrogan here, Tennis.com podcast, uh, here with Steve Tigner today. Um, October 9th, this week, uh, Steve, actually, Juan Martino Potro goes up to number five in the world rankings, uh, one spot off of his career high. This is the world ranking adjustment that was uh, less reported than the obviously more significant one with Rafa and Djokovic. You know, Del Potro also just turned 25, and I kind of wanted to take your temperature a little bit about where he stands after, for the most part, this year has been past us. Uh, I'll kind of go over some highlights of his year, but, you know, with someone who we always ask about, is he back? Is he, you know, is he a bona fide contender to the to the big guys? Um, you know, maybe just a quick thought from you on, on where he stands right now, and then maybe I'll go into some of what he's accomplished this year, his highs and his lows. He's a hard guy to talk about because, like you said, we always talk about, is he back? Is he back to that level that he had at the 2009 U.S. Open? You know, we know that he can win a Grand Slam. He's not one of the guys, he's not one of the guys when we ask if he can win one because he did it and he beat Rafa and Roger back-to-back at the U.S. Open in 09. So we know what his potential is um i guess now the question is will he ever get back to that point he you know there always seems to be something that gets in the way earlier this year he he beat murray and djokovic and almost beat nadal at indian wells and that you know the everyone said including me that he was officially back to the to that top level but but he you know he didn't end up winning any grand slams um you know he had a good year but then at the at the u.s open he found himself hurt again his wrist was hurting again there always seems to be some sort of setback, something that gets in his way. Um, and the one other thing I would say is that since his comeback from wrist surgery, I don't feel like I've seen him hit his forehand quite the way he hit it before he had surgery, that huge cross-court, that sort of famous cross-court forehand that he he used to hit. He used to hit it more often, and I don't know if that's something that's ever going to completely come back. Yeah, it. I think athletes in all sports, you just – you know, you have the the younger versions of them, and they just mature for whatever, you know, positively or negatively. And that just might be a hallmark of really that that moment in Del Potro. That, mm-hmm. but but I also think you know, I think a lot of players really, uh, sort of unfortunately, they their careers can be defined not only by how they do, but just by injuries. And I I think Del Potro really is, it, it's it's something as you said that has not gone away, and it's. Not even necessarily huge, um, you know, things that take him off for extended time, but things that are constantly hampering him and not allowing, not and not allowing that consistency to really compete, get up with, you know, Djokovic, Murray, Federer, or uh, Nadal, of course. And uh, we saw at the U.S. Open, like you said, against Hewitt. There, he also lost early at the Australian Open. Um, he had a great semifinal, of course, with Djokovic at Wimbledon, but did not, you know, that is another a loss as well. Kind of, you know, another match where after it, we, you know, there is two sides take to that about whether it was, you know, a, a fantastic achievement for Del Potro or whether it was another sort of assessment on, you know, he's he's there, but he's not good enough to break through. Mm-hmm. Um and you know this after he him beating Djokovic in Indian Wells earlier in this year, handing him his first loss actually. So, like you said, it, it's a it's a player who is probably going to be discussed in this path until he retires for for this reason because it does seem like you know 
there is uh, he is clearly atop that tier right below, but he's clearly not in that tier. Above yeah, there. number five. You you know you said he moved up to number five. I didn't realize that, and I didn't realize he was just turned twenty five either. But number five, you know, you feel like that's where he belongs. He's the next guy. Um, but you know, as far as injuries go. I always sort of wonder about him because he's six six and he plays. He doesn't play the traditional tall guys, tall man's, you know, quick points, big serve, quick points game. He plays a pretty much plays a grinder's baseline game, and maybe maybe that's a little harder for him to you know to do that at his size. Maybe that's a little harder for him on his body. Um, and as far as the, you know, there's also a mental aspect. I watched that the Djokovic Del Potro semi at Wimbledon. Um, and when I was there, and and I felt like as great a performance as that was by Del Potro, and as much as he see, he fought, I never really felt like he thought he was going to win that match. He, I think there is something that he, you know, he can beat the top guys, but but does he be- believe that he's really among them? He sort of lacks that something really special that that the top four guys, especially and especially you know Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer. Have that sort of allows them to 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 win. You know, I don't know. If this makes them sort of unbeatable at times. Del Potro just doesn't seem to have that. He's you know, without that huge forehand. He just ha- he has a very solid. He has a, you know very solid baseline game, and he can beat almost everybody with it. You but. know who actually? Now that you've talked a little bit about that, who you're reminding me of when you when you talk about this with someone who maybe doesn't bring as big of a forehand as they once did, someone who is lacking a little bit of that extra belief and someone who really, he he, he gets the crowds, he, 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 drama comes to him, but not always victories, is Andy Roddick, actually. And, and this is another, another player who won one slam, won it pretty early in his career, also at the U.S. Open. And, you know, we always talked about, I think people were begging for Roddick to kind of hit out more, in the latter stages of his career, Roddick also certainly injuries played a part in his career, and another player who has, of course, had a huge serve. But you know, he wanted, to, I think, to define himself as more than just a server. As years went on, he was playing, you know, a, a steady baseline game for better or worse for the latter half of his career easily. And and that actually reminds me a lot of what we're seeing in Del Potro right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that um, one thing I don't know if he. You know, somebody like I feel like Federer always believed he should be number one. Djokovic, when he came up, he really wanted to be number one, and you know, you know, not in the top five. He wanted to be number one. Nadal, I think, is always obviously always wants to win. Always is there for the battle. The same way Federer and Djokovic are. You sort of wonder whether Del Potro has that kind of that kind of drive, or whether he's happy where he is and, and happy to perform for the crowd. He's one thing he's done in the last couple of years that I think has been great is, has, has really shown his personality much more important. He's become a real fan favorite. If there's one guy you would want to, to continue to be in the limelight for tennis in general, I think it's Del Potro. He's a popular player everywhere. Um, but you wonder whether he's happy with, he, he likes that and, and whether he feels the same need that those guys do to always win. You also wonder if a, like Djokovic, how much, Perhaps you know a, a a tournament like Davis Cup, a title, and that would help. But Argentina may have let its best chances go. Mm-hmm. I think already in the past, and you know with Nel Bandi and out, it's a, it, it's something worth following for for Del Potro, who you know I think he'll be taking over that team too. Of course, already has, but uh, 
kind of see where it goes from here. But like I said, I brought him up at 25 now. I mean, I remember it, it doesn't seem like that long ago that he was, you know, a teenager kind of running through that summer of clay and hard tournaments. So, mm-hmm. um, And we think of him, I think, as the next generation. Some, you know, some people do from from Rafa and, and Novak and Murray, but he's, you know, he's just a year younger, two years younger than those guys. He's, right. he's pretty much with them. Yeah. So I wanted to bring up Del Potro, and then I also wanted to talk today about a um, little bit more about Serena. You know, Serena and Del Potro both won titles last weekend on a weekend very dominated by what happened between Nadal and Djokovic, both in the rankings um, and on the court in Beijing there. Um, Del Potro winning in Tokyo over Raonic and Serena winning in Beijing over Yankovic in the final, but also going through the field really untouched for the most part. Beats Rodwanska 2-2, you know, two and two, Wozniacki 1-4. and four. Um, Just continuing to, uh, you know, at 32 now, one of the best seasons of his of her career, and I think that's where I wanted to take this is, you know where um, you know, where are you putting this as it stands, kind of among that among that hierarchy of Serena's great seasons? It's it's only going to be two slams, of course, but she's going to have an practically unbeaten record, and um, you know there's no there's no other choice for the favorite, the overwhelming favorite in Istanbul in yeah. just two weeks' time. It's a little like the Federer 2005 season compared to his 2006. You know, 2005. He only quote unquote won two majors, but he was he was eighty one and four, um, and Serena this year has only won two majors, but she's seventy three and four. Um, you know, it's like the it, it's more of the the whole year's consistency is the real Im- impressive part. It's a little like John McEnroe's nineteen eighty four when he went eighty two and three. Um, Serena's never been. That's never been her thing. She's always been about the Grand Slam. She's she hasn't played in Beijing since '09. Um, she used to sort of not seem. To, she used to not really prioritize the rest of the season. And this year, I you know that's been completely different. She's won 56 titles in her career, 10 of them this year alone, and she's been on tour for 16 years. So that's a it's a huge difference from the way she used to approach you know approach tennis. She seems to she seems to um, have a desire. Or, or maybe she's just healthier, or her mindset is different. But she she is able to win more consistently um, now than she used to. And I was impressed with this performance. She didn't beat Azarenka or Sharapova. They you know Azarenka lost in the first round. Sharapova wasn't there, so maybe that's why the she didn't get a lot of you know a lot of press for this one. She beat, but she beat Radwanska and Yankovic each six two six two completely routine when she had a bad back. And those two players are both, you know, thought of as really consistent players. But Serena was more consistent than they were. She didn't just blast them off the court. She she actually beat Yankovic in the second set just by being steadier. So that to me that shows where she is compared to the rest of the compared to the rest of the WTA. There's just no comparison in any aspect of the game. Let's actually close circling back to. Rafa Novak in one way because I wanted to look forward a little bit, um, basically to London where we're where this is all going to culminate here. Uh, Murray will not be in the tournament that was announced today, and it, it's it, with Djokovic winning that most recent final in Beijing. Now, 
The World Tour Finals, of course, determined that that Nadal has not had great success in, relatively speaking, of course. Uh, you know, going into that, if, um, you know, a final round, it would be, of course, I think, fitting for the year for, and certainly favorite-wise by the rankings, to see those two get there. Um, they could, of course, meet this week in Shanghai as well. You know, for Djokovic, to, to your mind, does he... Are these finals of of great great significance to him at this point to keep going on what he accomplished in Beijing, or is it is it less about that? And you know, it, it is things are going to be reset, of course, come next year. Um, and kind of, it's still really Nadal's turf, no matter what happens. But kind of wanted to get your thoughts on what it all means to Djokovic, especially now that he started off his fall season with such a strong mm-hmm. statement in Beijing. I think it's big for him. I, you know, he, After he beat Rafa in Beijing, he said that Rafa has been the best this year so far. So that indicates to me that he he's looking at the rest of the year as something where he has an opportunity. You know, the year is not over. Um, and if you look at, he was dominant in 2011 until this time of the year, then he didn't he sort of he was injured and didn't do as well. Maybe a little right. This was the time of the little, year where he actually probably could have made that contention for the best season ever right. if he went off and, and yeah. he was a little less motivated too. I think not also injured, but and Federer took that opportunity and won three tournaments at the end of the year, and then he ended up reaching number one by the middle of the next year. I don't know if Djokovic is looking at that specifically, but you could see something like that where where Djokovic uses this as something towards next year. I think. Every, any win he gets over Rafa and any tournament he wins um, is a big deal for him right now. Like he's, he, he lost a lot of confidence against Rafa and beating him now at this time of the year will really help him for the future. We saw also in 2010 when he won the Davis Cup how that translated into the next year for him. Last year he won the, the World Tour Finals in London and then he won the Australian Open. So he's had a history of, of doing well at the end of seasons and then and then having that um, transfer over. And I think he, I think he's looking at it that way as a, as a possibility for that. And he also is going to be motivated to keep playing well because another, there's another Davis Cup final coming up for him. Right. right. So I think it's a big time for, for Djokovic. And with Rafa, I was amazed looking, at his, looking his, at his titles for his career. He's only won one tournament. Since 2005, he's only won one tournament that was played after the U.S. Open, Tokyo in 2010. So historically, this is a time when he, you know, he hasn't done well. We'll see. He started a little later this year. Maybe he'll have more this year. But I think it's, I think it will be important for him not to, not to sort of give up this part of the season to Djokovic. Right. And yeah, as you, I think you make good points about what what level this part of the year carries over to next year. We've seen, we've seen that happen. I think with the. With the biggest guys, that has proven true. And you know, we've often tried to say, "Well, look how great uh, some of the lesser players have done in this part of the year." And you know, maybe that portends something bigger next year. Nell Banyan comes to mind like that. But that didn't happen, of course. And uh, but with the bigger guys here, it, it does seem like the fall has a good carryover and I think effect. It's, I think it's hard for the guy who's dominated during the Grand Slam, the main part of the season, to stay motivated all the way through. You know, Federer used to be able to do it, and that was amazing. You know, it's. I think it's been hard for Djokovic and Nadal to do that. We'll see whether Rafa can do that this year. Yeah. Well, we couldn't harp ourselves going back to Rafa and Djokovic by by the end here, but they uh, 
They deserve it. So uh, thank you to Steve for today's podcast. We'll be back next week again with Tennis.com Podcast. I'm Ed McGrogan. Thank you for listening. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com. Thank you.